0: Beamaz and
1: Beamer,
2: News Radio 930 W B E N. How's it going? Thanks for being with me, Beamaz and Beamer on W B E N nine o'clock on a Friday. Uh, hope everyone's having a good week out there. Have a happy weekend. And uh, Joe is off again today. Uh, I don't think he'll be on the show for a while. You'll hear him later on this afternoon here on W B E N. You're stuck with me. The good news is it's not just me. Stuck with me and my special guest, who I think you'll enjoy hearing from. uh, And that is for the first part of the show, Dr. Michael Cummings, who is associate medical director at ECMC. We've talked to uh, a number of times before uh, about various issues related to the pandemic. Dr. Cummings, thanks so much for spending the time with us this morning. Thank you for having me. Um, I brought you on because something caught my eye. Uh, Over the past couple of days, and we mentioned this a little bit on the show yesterday, and I it is an extreme example, um, I think, but it it does help maybe illustrate and drive home the point that there are still issues faced, uh, especially by kids over uh, still today from what's happened over the past nearly two years now. It's a school in Portland, Oregon. Uh, I believe it's in the Portland Central School uh, District, Reynolds Middle School there, announced they're going to return to distance learning for a period of time because they're finding students are struggling with the socialization skills necessary for in-person learning, causing disruption in school for students. That's according to uh, the superintendent right there in the school district so they're going to remote learning because not covid not anything like this not the uh, you know normal things that we're hearing but because the kids can't handle being in person uh, at least according to the district and i thought this was crazy i thought this was an extreme example But a very illustrative one, and that's why I wanted to talk with Dr. Cummings. does extensive work with kids, extensive work in the field of psychiatry and and helping kids out. And I sent you this story because I, I thought it was kind of nuts because I'm reading this, and to me it reads like, hey, listen, kids are so damaged from being out of a classroom setting, from not socializing with each other for a year and a half or more that our solution is to Send them back in front of a computer. I was going crazy um, <laughs> thinking that way. When you see something like this, I would imagine that it's just further illustrating to you that there's work that needs to be done.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, from day one, I've been a very strong advocate of doing our best to keep our kids in school, and there were certainly reasons in the beginning to not do that. Um, you know, I, I don't disagree. the The steps taken at Radford are certainly on the far end of the curve. You know, their their rationale, um, at least as it's as it's described in the article, is to really actually prepare the teachers a little bit more um, for some of these socialization challenges. And a lot of schools across the country and including in Western New York are doing things not not to that level of extreme, um, because what we're noticing is, you know, kids, especially younger kids or even teens um, um, and older teens are really struggling coming back for a bunch of different reasons. You know, you look at the younger children. If you have an eight-year-old who's entering, let's say, third grade, they may not have really been around their friends, depending on how strict your school was and how socially distant your family was, since they were in first grade. Um, and school is where we learn to socialize. So so there's, there's uh, nationally a lot of concerns about uh, by parents, about 70% are concerned about their kids' ability to socialize and about 60% see regressions. Um, There's some studies showing um, in younger kids a uh, two-year regression kind of social skills simply because they haven't practiced them. I mean, that's the big thing about school is, is, yes, academics are important, but it is actually where we learn to navigate social situations, and navigating social situations is how our brain develops. So it's not surprising that there's these struggles. Um, Taking two weeks off from school uh, is certainly a pretty drastic um, move on that school's part. Um, but I think you'll see a lot of schools, you know, they'll have downtime on Wednesday morning where they kind of focus on more social, emotional things um, or, or, you know, various parts of the day. The schools are taking time out a little bit for kind of uh, mindfulness and other things. And, and what we're seeing um, across the national uh, venue is, you know, and this is true regardless of socioeconomic status, um, you know, Suburban schools, inner city schools, anything, you know, it's true across the borders. We're seeing, you know, a rise in fights, a rise in in disengagement. And, you know, our rates of depression, anxiety in our children are more than double what they were pre-pandemic. So there's a lot of things going on. That does not mean that the return to school is the wrong move because, to your point at the beginning, you know, if, if, if the evolution of this issue was social isolation and not being at school, you know, we need to get kids back, but we do need to be mindful of their larger social, emotional needs um, than pre-pandemic times.
2: I don't think the issue's been ignored, so to speak, but I do think it's taken a back burner. And, and it might be kind of rational that it did in the sense that we've spent so much, you know, in, in the talk about COVID, you're talking about uh, a physical element, right? And it's tangible. It's so easy to see, even if it's not easy to talk about or communicate, right? It's kind of easy to see what impact that it might have. And, you know, that's where the worry has lied uh, over the last year and a half. You know, all the talk is about COVID. And there's less attention given to, you know, people who bring up these social skills. And it almost gets cast aside, you know, social skills, whatever, you know, kids will make that up or that's not as important as keeping them physically safe. Um, How do you talk to people who are of that mindset to make people realize that when we're talking social skills, it's not just about you know, trading cards with friends at lunchtime. Does that show how out of touch I am that that's, you know, what my first and only example is, but it is really about development and growth.
1: Yeah. So, so, I mean, you know, it first, you know, to your first point in the very beginning, when we really knew very little about COVID and, and maybe underestimated its effects to some level. um, Yeah. You know, health and safety, by and large, Trump and anything else, right? I mean, if you don't, if you're not physically healthy and well, then then socialization and and other things, you know, simply won't occur. And, and you're right. I mean, we can argue about how numbers are counted and there's all kinds of controversy of whether they're overinflated or underinflated. So let's just call the numbers what they are for everyone to see. And 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 that is something that's very easy. It lends itself to a graph, right? I mean, you see the spike go up, you see the spike go down, you see the spike go up, um, and you know. You know, a year ago, then we started, like, doing more social isolation, closing more businesses, and it goes down. So you see a cause and effect. Um, you can see it in people's primary mode of, of getting their news now, which is on their phone, um, and you can see it really quickly. You know, in preparation for this uh, conversation, you know, I just wanted to re-review what was out there more recently and see if there was any new updates that I wasn't aware of. But that requires you to sit down and read four or five five-page articles to get the meat of it. There's no bullet points there. There's no, you know, I mean, so even just thinking about it, um, it's, it's, it is something that is less tangible and more difficult to, to do in a five second TikTok video. Um, on the other hand, um, you know, this also reflects the fact that our country and society in general has ignored mental health conditions for, for the duration of our history. I mean, there's more awareness now and there are more steps, but we're still far, far away from, uh, looking at social-emotional development, depression, anxiety in our kids or our adults, um, you know, than we are, you know, breast cancer or heart disease. And that diminishes the importance of those two entities. But but I've said this before. If you take all disability associated with cancer and heart disease and combine it, it's less than a disability for major depression within this country. So, so you know, it really does highlight kind of a cultural trend that's been going on forever. Um That is just, you know, obviously more difficult now. And the other thing that we have to remember is, you know, simply because you're a teacher or or staff at school, or for that matter, a doctor or or a nurse or a first responder, doesn't necessarily mean that you're equipped with the skills to deal with some of these issues. Um, You know, it's not inherent to your job. It requires training and thought and practice. And so our teaching staff who are returning under times of uncertainty, you know, they're, they're doing this, doubly right they're dealing with whatever's going on within their households and then dealing with whatever's going on with in your household in the school setting so so you know it's not just the kids who need support at this point it's also the people who are taking care of the kids and the people who are taking care of the schools um you know some of the most vital people inside a school or hospital are housekeeping and dietary um schools simply don't work that way without those folks and they're stressed
2: um as well Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. You mentioned it's tough to look at numbers, right, when it comes to mental health, socialization skills, all these other um, secondary impacts that the last year has brought about. Um, And I see a lot of these, uh, I'll see one or two headlines a week. Um, I think the latest one was out of Canada, where it says, you know, X percent um, have said that they have become depressed over the last year or that the depression levels have increased by whatever percentage point over the last 18 months. And, and, you know, it's talking about kids, but also the general population. And I, I still think that there is, while something like depression has gotten a lot more attention in recent years, I always see those headlines and I'm wondering like, well, how do you know that? Like, how does that manifest itself? And what would cause somebody to, you know, take a survey and say, yeah, I am. Um, that has to be very hard to pinpoint. How is that manifesting itself in the past, let's say, year or so?
1: Yeah, so it's interesting, right? I mean, in some ways we can measure certain outcomes. Um, most of the stuff is surveys and most of it is self-reported surveys. I mean, there certainly are studies there are people doing, but a lot of the data we're seeing will be like census surveys or other things that go through. Um, And and they're done well. And and I think in general, most professionals at least believe the trends, you know, it's not the same thing as, you know, a randomized controlled study, which are much harder and more costly to do and, and, and take time. Um, I think we, you know, it's interesting though, you know, we see, Increased rates of depression, anxiety, substance abuse, alcohol use, opiate use, uh, overdoses, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And yet, by and large, we're seeing a decreased utilization of psychiatric emergency rooms and inpatient beds. Um, so, even if the rates were staying the same, people are getting less care out there. And and I, and we're seeing the sequelae of that. I know, you know, in the hospital setting where I work, you know, people will comment that. Patients who, you know, may have severe or serious uh, psychiatric conditions, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, we're getting people coming in for hospitalization who've been relatively stable for three, four, five, eight years. You know, they haven't been in the hospital for a very long time. Um, And there's probably a lot of factors to to that, um, you know, barriers to treatment, uh, you know, maybe uh, increased stress within their household and other things. So we are seeing these, but to your point, it is hard to really count, and a lot of the data that we look at that that we really trust, um, things like suicide rates and things like that are usually one to two years behind. So, you know, if I give you stats about, you know, the rates of suicide within our country, you know, we're giving you 2019 stats. Um, so, so we won't fully see the sequelae of of you know the pandemic from a psychiatric standpoint for years to come, and for some of our individuals kids, particularly those with developmental disabilities and autism, we will be seeing the manifestations of this, you know, for decades. It'll be hard to attribute to something that happened in 2020, um, but but we're seeing that right now um, within our hospital systems.
2: Yeah, um, how that manifests, you hit on, you might not see that for decades. I'm wondering how it might be manifesting itself right now in not the clinical sense, not the hospitalization sense, and not more of the, well, I'm not the one to (laughs) say whether it's a serious uh, disorder or not, but just the general sense of when you see the surveys and there is the, you know, uptick in, I think what you would not call depression, but say unhappiness, right? And, And just kind of a malaise that, we heard this a lot during the early uh, months of the pandemic, right? People are working from home all the time. You're going through like the same motions. You're not really getting out there and talking to people. What day is it, right? You you kind of fall into the fog of this. And even though things have gotten back to normal and there are events, I I think a lot of that is still around. Um, You're looking, I can look around the workplace here and I mean, there's not really a lot of people here. It's just you don't see as many people as you used to. You're kind of walking around, and it could be dim and gloom and dark. You're not seeing faces still in the grocery store. I that has to have some crater impact. If there's a, a lot of people walking around, and you can kind of feel the vibe of a, of a room that you walk into, and hey, this room's a little colder, a little uh, a little less happy than it used to be.
1: Well, you know, humans are social creatures by nature. That's how evolution occurred, right? I mean, that's how we went from being, you know, into small tribes, into big, giant cities and everything in between. Um, so, so and, and I think there's a couple uh, real-life examples that, and one you hit on. Uh, you know, I used to do my grocery shopping at Wegmans every Saturday morning. And, you know, you'd see people you knew, so there's some socialization there. You also saw a lot of people who just happened to have the same shopping time frame as you. And so you don't know who they are, but you make eye contact with them because you see them once a week or every other week or something like that. And people are making eye contact and people are, you know, apologizing for um, for cutting someone off or doing something like that. And and if you really notice, that's far different now. I mean, eyes are down. Um, even with with the absence of the mass, there still isn't that social connectivity there. And and to be honest, you know, a lot of times I think one of the rises for, for Instacart and other things like that is not just the you know, the convenience sake of it. But, but, you know, certain things that were social events on some level, even though they weren't like going out to a party, um, just don't have that same feel with kids. You know, social media and screen time was already probably the primary way that kids communicated socially, but school was the opportunity where that did not happen. Now, you know, because of most interactions happening on on uh, social media platforms or uh, you know on screen time for school during the last two years, you know there's a lot of lack of practice for for how to interact in a social situation um you know when you text someone something there's there's no intent to, you know attributed to the text message so so there's a lot of um confusion and misinterpretation sometimes when People say something that they didn't mean as an insult, but then came out as one, and and that's what actually schools are reporting more and more. There's more general arguing. There's uh, people are quicker to anger. People are quicker to to kind of you know disengage and put their head down the desk and just not interact at all. These are younger kids in general, but also adolescents and teens. And so, so I. I think that's what you're describing. We're feeling this, and and it's really important to pay attention to that because it's really easy as a parent who's really busy, you know, to to come down maybe a little harshly on your child um, because you know they're doing something that feels a little oppositional. They didn't complete a chore. They didn't do something that you had a full conversation with them about, and it just didn't happen. And it's really easy to see that as an act of defiance or oppositionalness. But, in fact, you know, maybe we do need to step back a little bit and see, you know, what else is going on in their life and use that as a point to talk about, you know, how we can, you know, solve some of these issues together as a family or as a school or as a community um, rather than just jump to the fact that, well, you're not doing what we expect you to do and, therefore, you know, that's bad and you get in trouble.
2: As with all problems, I mean, it's easy to kind of identify it, right, and see what's going on but how do we work toward repairing some of what was lost? I I mean, that's a, that's a tough thing, right? Oh, it's very difficult. And, and, you know,
1: we, you know, talked maybe three or four years ago, there was a study that came out talking about loneliness and true loneliness, um, being a higher risk factor for mortality than almost anything else, including heart disease and smoking. Um, and so i don't want people to minimize well it's lonely and you're sad um no that actually leads to increased mortality so it really leads to increase sickness and uh earlier um chance of dying to be frankly um so we especially you know we have to control the things that we can control so if we're if i'm you know speaking to parents this is more and more the time that you schedule time to make sure you're having social interactions with your children it's so easy not to do that lots of families mine included have moved well away from the dinner time conversation everyone's busy people are up in their room doing their homework on their iPad people are working extra hours it becomes really easy to have minimal contact even though you're in the same house you know um, some of that's because we are practicing social isolation where people are sick or other things and some of it's just because you know, the primary of what you're doing doesn't require you to be around the people. So taking time, making sure you're checking with your kids and other loved ones, making sure you're making sure. And this is going to be hard. I mean, any parent on there knows if you ask your 15-year-old son or daughter how they're feeling, you know, you're probably going to get a one-word answer. Um, but that doesn't mean you don't keep doing that. You don't keep offering it up. And that's the same kind of thing that we need to be doing in our schools, and schools are, you know, really stepping up and starting to do that. But it's difficult. It's very difficult because it's yet one more task. Um, to do. I think it's also when we talk about school, Now, you know, your child's wellness and their emotional health and wellness, I would argue is far more important than their academic wellness right now. There's certain things that you can't fix from an emotional standpoint. And certainly, you know, you know, we don't have the new rates, but pre-pandemic, if you had a daughter age 10 to 14, she had a higher chance of committing suicide than she did dying in a car accident and you know the rates will be higher when we can remeasure them. So, so, you know, not getting an A in that marking period is probably not as important as making sure that someone's doing okay emotionally. Um, there's time to catch up academically. There's not time to catch up for um, social-emotional wellness. Um, I mean, and I don't mean that exclusively because kids' brains are very resilient. So, yes, the, the first grader may not have seen their friends for two years, Their brains are kind of like silly putty and they can be molded and they can, um, you know, develop in different ways and and quite rapidly once there's a return to school. And I think that's also important just to mention, yes, we've seen all these issues, but there are many kids, many kids who have done really struggled at home who are now thriving being back in the school setting and social setting. So it is a two way story here. I mean, we're talking about the, the folks who are really struggling, but there's a whole other side of the coin of people that the return back has been incredibly positive um, for them and their families.
2: Dr. Cummings, thank you as always for the time. Always enjoy the conversation and uh, I know you're a busy guy, so great to catch up. Dr. Michael Cummings is associate medical director at ECMC. Also is a vice chair in the Department of Psychiatry at the University at Buffalo. He has been our guest. If you missed any of it, check out the podcast after the show. We'll be back here with more and some of your thoughts on um, what you just heard on BMAS and Beamer. It's BMAS and Beamer, Radio
0: 930 WBEN.
2: Welcome back to BMAS and Beamer. Just myself with you here today. Hey, uh, you want to win a pair of tickets to go see Trans-Siberian Orchestra on Tuesday, December 21st at Key Bank Center? You can do so by being caller number three, and we'll also take caller number four. 644-9875, callers number three and four Win a pair of tickets to go see trans-Siberian Orchestra, the TSO Tuesday December 21st tickets are on sale now at keybankcenter.com. One dollar of every ticket sold goes to Oshai Children's Hospital. So check that out uh, nice way to get ready for the holidays, win some tickets. Courtesy of WBEN. I want to throw out uh, this uh, mention. It was mentioned to me this week. Uh, Salvation Army, they do every single year a a great thing for all of Buffalo. They run their toy shop. I know the wonderful ladies who run the toy shop. I was going to throw an adjective in there. I decided not to. My grandmother would uh, be proud of me uh, deciding not to do that. Uh, Wonderful ladies, that's all I'll say. Uh, who are running the toy shop. Uh, They do need some volunteers, I believe. It runs the uh, 16th through the 20th. So uh, you might want to contact the Salvation Army. But uh, even more so, more urgent, new toys for kids age 0 to 3 years old. So infant toys all the way through toddler toys, 0 to 3 years old. They're in need of some donations this year for new toys for the toy shop that happens every year at the Salvation Army. So if you... uh, feel in the giving spirit, you want to donate, you can bring those to the downtown Salvation Army, and they'll accept them and give them out to families in need throughout Buffalo and western New York. Uh, again, zero to three new toys is what they're looking for there to help out uh, with the cause. And, uh, you know, can be something uh, pretty good to do this holiday season, get a jump start uh, giving yourself. Uh, thanks for being with us. Uh, we spoke with Dr. Michael Cummings in the segment before. If you missed any of that, you'll hear it in the show when it goes on demand at WBEN.com in the podcast tab. I enjoyed the conversation. Um, Somebody's texting in 803-0930. If you want to weigh in today by giving us a call or by sending us a text on our Volkswagen of Park text board, you can do that. Um, And somebody chimed in saying, no disrespect intended, but why didn't the generation that went through other pandemics have all these issues? And we were talking with Dr. Cummings, who's Associate Medical Director at ECMC, Vice Chair of Psychiatry at the University of Buffalo, Um, and we were talking with him a lot about the socialization issues happening, not just with kids, you know, primarily his focus is on working with kids and teens, but really for everybody. Uh, And why didn't we have these issues? You know, was a weak society created, this person texting in asks. Uh, certainly appears that way to the baby boomers. And, you know, I, I'm not going to disagree with you here for texting in that, uh, that question. I think the answer is the screen. I mean, the answer is pretty simple. Why we're talking about this now and when past generations didn't, you know, went through pandemics or whatever the problem was, whatever that threat was. Why wasn't there this huge mental strain on everybody? And I think the answer is the screen, and that works in a number of different ways. The first of is this was already, before COVID, before any of this, this already was harming the way we communicate, uh, was harming our you know mental health, the buzz term, by just being buried in screens all the time and having less face-to-face interaction. So that was already. And now we're doing that even more because of the restrictions that were put on place, whether that be in schools or somewhere else. And, you know, for the other way, it's not just that we have screens and that we're choosing to do this. But in past generations, you look at a past pandemic, you know, the great flu of 1919. Nobody was working from home in 1919. You weren't firing up the, uh, the MacBook and bringing it to your home office, right? Uh, there wasn't uh, a whole lot of uh, places that said, all right, you know, everyone, uh, no need to come into work. No, no, you know, yeah, you can do this work from home. You know, run the big machine from home. You can't do that? What? So uh, you didn't have the problems that are uh, really manifesting from that. And I do think it's a lot of, you know, we focus, and rightfully so, on the issues children will face by not being in school, those socialization skills, the, you know, kind of loneliness of being separated from your peers. But I think that goes for all of us. I mean, if you work in an office where there hasn't been people around, whether you know it or not, whether you talk to those people or not, Dr. Cummings was using the example of just walking through the grocery store. And whether regardless of the mask, I mean, the mask doesn't help with identifying faces. But even without that, you know, people are making eye contact. There's this, you know, trend against being social, being cordial that will have an impact on you. Right. And, and that's wasn't there. Right. You, you didn't have grocery delivery service. You had to go out. You had to. You were forced to socialize in previous generations, in a way that now you have this alternative. Well, I can socialize online, and people trick themselves into thinking that's the same thing. It's not. I mean, you know, it's not. So, I mean, that's why this generation and us now were going through these types of issues when it wasn't there in the past, because the option wasn't there in the past. And nobody was kidding themselves in the past that they can do the work have the fun, you know have your happy hour on Zoom. you know come on it's not the same and uh, that option wasn't there in the past so you didn't deal with the after effect in the past. so that's you know that, I, I think it's a it's a good question but I, I it does have a, a reasonable answer and it could be avoided if you turn things and go the other way and you get back out to uh, talking to people. Um, uh, switching things around and uh, looking around at what's going on. Speaking of back to the office, as we uh, go through some of the other headlines that are in the news today, I, I thought it was very interesting that I saw this. Um, Kathy Hochul was speaking yesterday at the Association for a Better New York. Um, it's a New York City uh, organization of working for improving the quality of life in New York City. But she was laying out her vision to rebuild from the pandemic and unlock New York's potential. And she was giving the speech and tweeting along. And I pulled up the tweet, and it kind of startled me when I saw this yesterday. This is the message from Governor Kathy Hochul that she gave out yesterday. Offices are still too empty, and too many workers are at home. This has an impact on our economy and ripples across the entire city. I'm putting a stake in the ground. It's time to get back to the office. The message from the governor yesterday. And I thought that was very interesting that she would say that. Um, I I don't disagree with it at all. I, I think it's well past time to get back to work, get back to the office. I've, uh, I've not been... A huge You know, this isn't true across the board, but I I think for a lot of uh, different workspaces, there is a benefit in being in the office that, you know, might not be tangible in the work. You can say, well, I could do the same work. You could do the same work, but there are other benefits from being around the office. Her benefit that she's pointing out as well, there's no one in these offices, so no one's going to these businesses or stores around the city. So uh, they're all closing. What's going on? That's a pretty easy benefit for her to see. I think other, you know, I'm thinking in my age group, you're not around the office. What if you just started a job? You know, you're 25, 26 years old. You've got no face time with the boss, no face time with anyone else. I mean, how do you move up the ladder in a remote environment? It seems pretty hard to do. But it's, you know, just one of these things that it's not directly uh, impacting the work. Right. The work might still be getting done in what, wherever these offices are, but you're not seeing as many people. You're not uh, getting to know other areas of work. Right. You hang around the office. You don't just do your job, but you kind of see what other people are doing to an extent. Maybe some people more than others as have uh, found out. You don't understand what <laughs> other people are doing. Uh, but, um, you know, all those things are, are kind of lost. But I th- found it interesting If this was the message given on Thursday, on Tuesday, you know, we played for you the clips on our show Wednesday. Because on Tuesday, the governor was here in western New York saying, hey, listen, if we don't change things, you know, kind of on how you change case rates, but if these case rates don't change, we're going to put those restrictions back in. So we go from Tuesday saying uh, restrictions might need to come back in. Uh, People need to be uh, wary. Keep your gatherings low. Be careful going out into a crowd. That was the message on a Tuesday to a Thursday in front of this association saying, hey, it's time to get back in the office. Let's go. Too many workers are at home. Get back and fill those offices. I, I... and you wonder why people are confused? I guess it's the end of the day there. You know, that's why are people it's, we talked with Rick Klein, the ABC News political director earlier this morning. Um, and a lot of our conversation was about the poll numbers and you know, people's opinion on Biden and people's opinion on the government and what's going on. And you know, my point to him was uh, maybe even less so than Biden in particular or one politician or something like that. I people are fed up with, being confused all the time about who am I supposed to listen to and what what's the message here? And what am I supposed to do? On a Tuesday, I'm being told, watch out, be very vigilant, stay home, or something to that effect. We're going to have to slap restrictions on you. We're going to have to close things down again. The next day, I'm hearing the exact same person say, let's open it up, let's get back in the office. We need this done. <laughs> and... And we're expecting everyone to just kind of say, "Yeah, rah rah" to both those things, and not, um, what? What's going on? No one likes being confused. I no don't like being confused. You're tired. You're confused. Well, what's What's the message here? So I thought that was very interesting. That was the tweet from the governor yesterday, where uh, followed that up by the healthcare industry is one place where we can't afford a labor shortage. Yes, you know. You do it with that comment what well, you will. Um, elsewhere around the news, uh, the Erie County Department of Health yesterday released a memo. County residents who are a close contact of a COVID positive person and aren't fully vaccinated can be released from quarantine after seven full days. It had been 10 full days, so we're cutting that down by three days. And I think the reaction that I saw most often to this story was. Since when was there a quarantine? We're, we're cutting down on the quarantine that I don't think anybody knew existed. If you ask people who have come in contact with somebody who has had COVID or has tested positive for COVID, which would seem to be even more of a uh, you know a red flag, the priority, and ask how long it took from the exposure or the positive test to when they, if ever, were contacted by a contact tracer or somebody to see what you were doing. I mean, this time period, you're out of there by like a week. I mean, it's in some cases a week and a half later when you're getting the notification. Oh, hey, by the way, you were in contact with so-and-so eight days ago. You might need to quarantine or get a test. I'm like, well, that was eight days ago. uh, I haven't been doing it since. Do you you want me to go for the extra two days of quarantine here? Or uh, what should I do? That was the interesting uh, part of that story yesterday for me. And then, again, we were talking this morning about preparing for Thanksgiving and this being your big weekend to get everything ready for Thanksgiving. And I, I, you can get in your last-minute thoughts, 8:03:09:30 on our Volkswagen of Orchard Park text board. Or uh, let me know, give me a call, or, or something like that. Because I am dreading heading to the grocery. This is one of the positives of me heading out of town over the Thanksgiving holiday. No trips to the grocery store over the next week. I think we're going to go late tonight, and that's it. And and then we're we're skipping town. We're out of here, because I am the, it's funny. I don't. I actually like being in a crowd. I you know I like the energy of a crowd. I, I do like a lot of people. I like going to concerts and shows and sporting events and, and all that stuff, and, and that's all fine. I cannot stand when you're in a grocery store and there is a crowd of people. Nothing gets me uptight and tense more than doing shopping with a whole bunch of people. picking the lines. people are in the way. I just want to find my things. I want to get out, no hassle. I, there's carts every which way. you find a parking spot. there's someone lollygagging walking through the parking lot, you know, blocking all the spots. you're sitting there with your turn signal on for forever. You get out. You try and find the cart. Half of them have garbage in it. (laughs) Then you're walking through the store trying not to bump into somebody. Like, oh, I just want to go on my little path here. Just want to get in, get out. Normally, you go to the grocery store. It's low key. I can pretty much uh, get out. Get in and get out in the middle of the day. You see some people. Hey, a friendly smile on my face. Give a little nod. And you're on your way. Oh, man. When it's busy, I get so up to, I cannot handle it. I don't know what it is. And I my wife thinks I am a crazy person for, for absolutely doing this. And I think people get, I get annoyed by people getting annoyed, too. Where I generally like to think, like, inside, I'm like this volcano, but I'll never burst. Outside, you know, I'll keep it, a smile on my face, right? I'll do everything. It's fine. And then it happens so often, I'm in line, and I'll hear the person behind me, and you just, you know, you're waiting in line, and listen, I've gotten to the point, I've walked through, there's a million people here, I've accepted, right? I have accepted that I'm going to wait in line long. So I, I'm choosing to have that not bother me. And then what happens? Somebody gets behind you and you just hear this. <sighs> <sighs> and just right down your neck. And I'm like, listen, buddy. You walked into this line. You know it's not going fast. You know how people are in a checkout. I'm stressed, too. You know, hemming and hawing isn't going to speed anything up. It's just getting on my nerves a little bit more. And by the time I'm checked out, I am out of there like a speeding bullet. (laughs) I can't handle it. Somebody chiming in on our text board. Driver's licenses should be required to operate shopping carts. Yeah, I might be with you on there. Robbie Raw, friend of the show, calling in. Robbie, <laughs> I, does that get on your mind? You know you're going to be in a stressful situation, and then someone's him and hon right on the back of your neck. Oh, I could turn around and I don't know.
3: Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, you know, first of all, it's the the season of Thanksgiving, so we have to keep that mind and have an attitude of gratitude. I I'm cooking for 20 people. I don't know how my mother did it, cook, took you know, cooking for 30 to 40 people. But I'm just, I told my husband I am not getting stressed out. I am just taking it as it is. I started ordering my food and buying food weeks ago. And, you know, whatever I can that's not perishable. And then I'm going to get the last-minute things. But, you know, the stores are already crazy. And people can use Instacart, you know. You can You can order at any store and use Instacart if you don't want to deal with that, which is not a bad idea. And then, I mean, I was at TJ Maxx a couple of days ago. Brian, it was insane. Uh, The line was almost to the mid, you know, part of the store in the back. I mean, it literally went all the way halfway, you know, to the store in the back. And people were very, very frustrated I just took a look at that line and I'm
2: like I got to get out of here. Yes. You know, thank you Robbie and thank you for the call. What you did there, this is what's called it's a great piece of advice. It's called know yourself, right? Listen, I know that I can't handle being in that long line. I don't want to be the guy who's going <sighs> And I will if I'm waiting in line for you know over 5 minutes, I'm not a line person. If I'm waiting in line for that long, chances are I will turn into that guy. Unless it's something, you know, I'm waiting in line. I, You know, I assign myself up for it. I know what I'm getting into and all, all that kind of stuff. I don't want to turn it. So if I see the line, I turn right back around and say, well, I guess today is not the day. Today is not my day. Um, someone else saying, I want to talk about being uptight in a store. A lot of places now, their self-checkout only accepts cards, and there's only one single register accepting cash. I, that is, I mean, that's a that's an issue, right? Someone else saying patience. Listen, I, I know I lack a little bit of patience, but I know I lack patience, so I try and avoid those scenarios that cause me to be patient, uh, to be patient. I, I think this is the thing here. It, I actually like that there's one line except in cash, because you're getting in that line knowing that everyone's paying in cash. There's nothing worse than I, we've gotten accustomed to. I'll never understand people who take like uh, five, more than five minutes in the transaction part. It's like we've done this our entire lives. You know how it goes, right? They bring it up. and, and you see the total. Maybe you got a coupon or something like that, but chances are not really anymore. And you pass them and you pay for it, and then they give you the receipt and you're out the door. It, it's really simple. Been doing it forever. So I sometimes you see people and they're taking five minutes more longer. And that's without even writing a check. When I see someone take out a checkbook now. I am just I'm on the floor. I can't believe it. But what takes so long about that transaction? Like, I'm watching the person scanning, if you're in that line. They're going pretty fast. This is going about normal speed, yet somehow something's getting tripped up here. And the thing that we do, uh, top 10 most often things you do is check out of somewhere. How is this taking so long? That's when I start to get a little uptight. That's, that's when I can't do it. That's, somebody said, right, bill comes up and then pay. It's, it's that simple. It's that simple. Hey, thanks for hanging out with me and listening to me gripe. Uh, I'll be back next week. B-Maz and Beamer on WBEN. T-Mobile
0: has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours